so excited today. An amazing guest I have on this podcast episode. Welcome, Doug Sandler. Thanks, Priscilla. It's uh, it's good to be here. Good. Well, welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Podcast. Love the name. Good. Well, so tell me a little bit about your podcast. And we, we've got great plans today. I'm, I'm like running in place, so excited, so many things I want to talk about. But I promise I will put down some structure and actually get to some things in order, but I will try not to get to oh, no. the Oh, no. I, I signed up for no order and okay. no structure. So <laughs> whatever, whatever, we, whatever direction we end up going in, I'm sure it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fine. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to what we're both about to say, which we both have no idea. So that's fine. I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, I try and keep it unscripted to keep it interesting. But a lot of times when I have a guest on, I try and digress very quickly into something ridiculous, which is a Venn diagram of what we have in common and what we don't have in common. So the first thing I think of is we both podcast. So that's a big, big thing we have in common. Share with me something that there's no way that I have in common with you. I bet you haven't uh, performed at 1900 bar and bat mitzvahs in your career. Oh my God, no. (laughs) Shoot me now. You know what's funny is that when you were talking about that in your book, see, once again, already I'm skipping ahead, but you were talking about that one cornerstone or what what, was that, you know, moment of clarity and change that you had. (laughs) Everything became real. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because when I was in high school, I would um, work for a catering company on the side just part time. And my worst experience was also at a bar mitzvah and the kids went nuts. And so as you were telling that story, I was like, I felt so much pain for you. <laughs> well, but but what was great about it, it was a transitional point in my life. I had been in the uh, entertainment business as a mobile DJ for about eight years at that point. In mm-hmm. 1984, I started and that was about 1992 when this, uh, when this event happened. And uh, it really did put a, a whole bunch of lessons learned over those eight years uh, all together for me. And, and, uh, and that is really what, where this entire business that I've been in for so many years has has taken shape since that one, uh, you know, turning point uh, performance. Well, yeah, you drew so many lessons for uh, from that and important lessons. And let's talk a little bit about that. But first, let me hear a little bit about your podcast. My listeners may be interested in going over there and subscribing. And you do that with Strickland Bonner. So tell me a little bit about that. I I enjoy it. And I I think my listeners would like it a lot. It's really, you know, focusing in I I love, you know, clarity. That's what I'm all about. And uh, I had just done a podcast a couple of weeks ago about how to reduce stress in 2016, a couple of things that you can oh, do. Yeah. And yeah. I love that about your podcast. You guys talk about really how to be happier and how to keep that focus. So tell me a little bit about what, why you and, and Strickland started that because now you're past 100 episodes. Yeah, it's been great. Well, the, the, if I can back up just for a second, sure. the, um, the the program is called the Nice Guys on Business Podcast, and it is a uh, it is a podcast that's dedicated to people that want to improve their lives, whether improve their businesses, rep- improve their relationships, uh, reduce stress, become happier. I mean, that has been. A, uh, a huge theme over the last uh, over the last year since we've been on the air. We just celebrated our 100th episode, as you were so nice to uh, to mention as well. And we've had some amazing guests on the show. Uh, Dan Harris from uh, Good Morning America has been on the show. Yeah, um, uh, that Bob was a great Ver- episode, by the way. Yeah, he he re- well he interviews professionally, so right. he understands what what it takes to to be a good interview subject, I guess, because he's had enough subjects on his show to uh, to, to to help him kind of guide him. 
So um, when I started with Dan just, a, just uh, probably 10 or 12 episodes ago, uh, what I realized was that our biggest show uh, downloads came from the ones that we deal with um, time management, stress reduction, becoming happier, more motivated, more positive. And so we really made a little bit of a shift on on focus of the show, although the entire show, because it is called the Nice Guys on Business podcast, it is about how being um, involved a little bit more deep in the relationships in your business and the passion that you have about your business can really, really make a huge difference in building your business and the results that, you're, that you see as well. Well, I love the paradigm that you have about it where, if you know, how I see it is that, you know, you really focus on the idea that you can control your own behavior. You can't control the outcome in business. <laughs> so true. And, you know, that, that control that I loved, you know, where you were talking about the sense of control that we want, you know, uh, that really resonates with me. We all are happier when we're more in control, but we start getting into business thinking the control that we want is the control over other people. We're really the happiness comes from the control over ourselves. Well, and we think about that, at, you know, in, in as we go through our daily activities, if if you think about the things, the habits that you form and the actions that you take, you can't control what the response is to those things. So we really are only in control of our behavior. And, and many of the guests have gotten on on the show and and told their story. And, and what's so amazing about it is we all go down the same line, whether we're somebody that has a million Twitter followers and, uh, you know, and a guy like John Lee Dumas, who, who was a guest on the show, who right. was a pioneer in podcasting. And he talks about his humble beginnings. But it's not like these were 20 years ago. Right. You know, this happened just a few years ago. I think the problem is that what we all do is we lack this consistency thing that successful people tend to be very, very consistent with their actions, with their behavior, with their attitude. And uh, as long as you stay positive and you stay active in the things that you're passionate about, you're going to be successful. It's now just a matter of time. So don't give up. I, I think that's probably one theme that runs through the entire, uh, you know, the entire show. Well, and I think it, what also runs through the entire show is this idea of positivity that is not necessarily just a, a, a cheap positivity, which is think positively about yourself. Well, I feel your message yeah. is think positively about other people because that is what keeps your ego in check, which <laughs> yeah. is what brings about great re you know, relationships. And that is a positive to really build on. And I think in the past, you know, we had some of that real like that kind of life coaching that was like, you know, if you believe it, you can achieve it, which I hear that in your message. Like if you, you can it. think it. You yeah. can do it. But to me, there is a really important difference of a nuance of your message, and that is about the importance of so many people at the table and not just yourself. Well, it, is, it does go well beyond you. But if you back up a second, you realize that it does just start with you. And um, I read this book, and I, and I promote it heavily. And, and there's, I have got to get the author on the show. And I think the, the author of the, uh, the book, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself, I oh, think yeah. it was uh, Shad Helmstetter. I'm looking for the book on my, on my shelves right now. I can't put my eye on it. But uh, this book talks about how we beat ourselves up constantly, mm -hmm. um, not just professionally, but personally, too. I could never do that. Nobody's going to buy this. Will that person like me? Will they not like me? Did I just say something stupid? Should I answer the phone? <laughs> Should I not answer the phone? Should I respond to this text message? Uh, I mean, we could go on. <laughs> right. Forever. I've actually what read did, that book. Yeah. What did they mean? Oh, did you read the book? Yeah, it's very good. Worth, good, good. Very worthwhile. So it, it, what happens is we beat ourselves up constantly. And if we uh, would just relax a little bit, and find some inner peace 
Um, I, I don't know. Do you have an explicit rating on your show? Am I allowed to quote somebody that? that yes, said, I can. I, I can place it on this episode. Go for it. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I think that uh, that Dan Harris, when he came onto the show, he said something like, "We just need to quiet the asshole in our head, mm. <laughs> you know, long enough so that we can understand that if we get out of our own way." Uh, we will be successful. And sometimes we are successful in spite of ourselves because we do talk so negatively about about ourselves. So we just need to just pull back just a little bit, just a little bit so that you give yourself a little bit of room, a little bit of of space, let's call. I know that's such a generic word, but – and this meditation thing, um, you know, again, uh, to use uh, one of Dan's lines, um, he didn't believe in meditation, and and I've uh, become a recent um, practicer of meditation. But really, what happens is we quiet, uh, quiet the asshole in your head. <laughs> it's really what we do through meditation, and that's all we're trying to do in in this world and this life is just to quiet that voice enough so that we can actually see around those thoughts that we. Um, that we have so poorly sometimes about ourselves. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's incessant. You're right. You know, one of my other favorite authors is Anne Lamott. And years and years ago, I followed her for a long time. And at first, she told me that there are basically only two types of prayers in the world. And that is, please, please, please. And thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and I, you know, I lived my life in that for a long time. Like, yes, that helps me that, you know, that's really great. Well, then she came out with another book and said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. There are three types of prayers. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I bought the book. And uh, it's please, thanks, and wow. Oh, that's good. That's good. But at the end of the book, if you read through the end, she's like, you know what? I'm wrong. There's actually four prayers. Oh, no. (laughs) She goes, there's please, there's thanks, there's wow, and there's, dear Lord, please help me be less of an asshole today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if we were all just the, the entire platform that I stand upon is that nice is right. And mm. while that sounds so silly and that sounds so sophomoric and so juvenile, it is just the approach that we have to take to everything. If we find people in a constant state of doing something right rather than finding them doing something wrong, mm-hmm. uh, your entire outlook and your perspective on on life, not just business, this is a life lesson that I – that it's not that I'm trying to preach to people, but I've seen this through 30 years plus of business – and owning my own business and seeing all of these failures that I've had in my life and these successes I've had in my life, I've discovered that the one thing that has been a common thread throughout this is that I've remained positive because for me, I always look at the glass as uh, as half filled and I always look at things from a positive perspective and it's always going to get better because it will get better if we just wait long enough. Things, Everything in life is temporary, including life. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. W- where does Strickland like come in on it? Like what was his intrigue and interest? Uh, you know, because of reading the book, I I know your story, how you arrived at that. But how did you get to that with Strickland? Well, Strick's been my sugar daddy. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, well, Strick and I have been friends. Uh, when I joined uh, the agency that represents me now, Washington Talent Agency, when I joined them back in the uh, in the late '90s, I think '98 or '99, uh, Strickland was working for them in a band, and Strick and I just became friends, and we discovered that we had a common uh, passion in just in customer service and in business, and we would always talk about we you know we always joked about the idea of coming up with a reality show 
called the agency because you should hear the people that call into the agency oh and all of the stories that they tell. I would follow that. Or you could call this American Life and see if they'll do a spinoff for you. Maybe so. That's probably <laughs> not a bad idea. Well, you know what? We, we all have great ideas. We just have no time to institute exactly. the ideas. <laughs> I talk about that a lot on other yeah. podcasts. So Strick and I got together and we just said um, when he left the agency as a um, as the president, he went to work for another company within an IT department. He really loves computers and he was not getting enough either, um, I guess, attention in his role as president or enough money. I don't know what one or the other. But um, or maybe he can come on and tell you that story. (laughs) But we said, hey, we should really try to do something together. And I had already started my speaking business at that point, and I really wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't know the technical side of the podcast. And him being an IT guy, he's like, I got this. I can do it. He said, I will do all of the IT stuff, and I'll do all the posting and the editing and everything. You just find great guests, and we'll do a show every once in a while together. The um, Our market, our audience actually said to us, instead of you guys doing the show together, can you do the show together every once in a while? But we want more interviews. Right. So I, you know, Strick said he'll pick up some of the interview slack and I'll do some more interviews on my own. And um, that's really where we've been the last probably 20 or so episodes. But we, we've loved doing the show together. It's been, it's been a huge, huge uh, undertaking and love, love of my life at, at, you know, at this point. I know it still remains. Podcasting is still my favorite thing. And it is the thing that doesn't make me money. And I love, it makes me happy. But you said that you have great guests on it. And you are not kidding. you got to check this out. Like, I love the one, like I said, about Dan Harris. And I loved his book, 10% Happier. And I'm, I'm such a believer in meditation. Happy to hear that, you know, that you're really putting that out there and helping people understand how it's not weird. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's just so important in terms of really living our life. That's one of my values is carving out a life that is truly what you want to what you want to live that you got to own it and really car you got to work hard to carve it out that authenticity so listen guys you've got to check this out the podcast the nice guys on business podcast and their tagline is get focused reduce stress and become happier you will love it i, I promise 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 well, thanks. Okay. we have to move out to your book and I, we, we let, let's talk just a tiny bit i'm going to tell you what actually resonated with me do you mind okay. Sure. Uh, No, I I don't want to hear about my book. (laughs) (laughs) But this is feedback. Okay, first of all, the funny thing is that at the very beginning, well, maybe it's not the beginning. Yeah, I'm sure it's in the first chapter of the book. You were talking about, you know, the lack of customer service. And I'm literally almost went into like fetal position. You started talking about your experience online with, you know, your uh, credit card company. Credit card company, yeah. And literally when you said it came out of your mouth, please enter your 16-digit card number followed by the pound sign. And I mean, literally, I could have just finish the sentence with you. Yep. And um, and then the guy comes on after, of course, which has been always my pet peeve. You enter it all and everything. Then you get a live person and they say, what's your 16-digit card number? What's your 16-digit number? number? I'm like, just... I, just, I just entered that. <laughs> what, it was my finger. <laughs> why Why do you even ask for it? You know, just if they could just take that whole first section out and just say, we are only kidding. We are going to ask you for these things in just a minute. <laughs> well, you know that. See, that would be that would be a real human way to do it, and a real funny way to do it. And that would be something like, and I and I'm putting in my head, you know, companies that would do it that way. Zappos um, right. would do it that way. Southwest Airlines would probably do it that way. Geico Insurance would probably Absolutely. do it that way. These are companies that have under, understand the ridiculous nature of customer service uh, through an automated phone system nowadays. Right. Well, the it got even funnier though. Literally, if I, 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 I started <laughs> laughing, but I wanted to cry, and inside I was crying. <laughs> but then he gets on the line, and you know your name being Doug Sandler. He goes, 
hello, Mr. Sandler. May I call you Doe? <laughs> it's I couldn't write it. I couldn't make it up any better than that. Oh my gosh. Well see, I, I say I read your book, and actually I listened to everything on Audible, so it's is very funny coming from your voice. Yeah, yeah. And I really I have to say I really appreciate it when authors read their own books because nobody gets the nuance and you know uh just right, you know, than someone who actually wrote it. But I seriously that part cracked me up. Yeah. Out of pain. So <laughs> but you know, in all seriousness, let me tell you the thing that really resonated with me and I was like, Oh, ouch, that that hurts and you know, you mentioned early in the podcast that we are busy and we are such a time poor yeah. society. It's just and then then you put on top of it entrepreneurs, even more time poor, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I love this concept that you talk about in the book of who meets the wizard. <laughs> and I hate it when people call here and I cannot take the phone call. Right. And that's a it's really been an, an issue for me. And you want to, you know, make yourself available all the time. Um, but then you do get busy. And this is this is where it resonated with me a, a, a lot right in this moment. We just, you know, closed the books on the year and it turns out we grew 180 percent last year. Oh, my gosh. Good yeah. For you. <laughs> so now I know you, why I think right? I know. Yeah, I know why I'm tired. Right. So but here's it was such a good message for me to hear in that, because what I hear in your paradigm and is, you know, first of all, like I mentioned, keep your ego in check. Yeah. And then in that, really recognize the busyness. And I think that's where meditation comes in, where you mm-hmm. really get to just sit in it, hold space for yourself in the busyness, have a little bit of self-compassion that you cannot be spread so thin. And from that awareness, I think then you can continue to keep serving your clients dynamically, the things that brought you the success. You can't now all of a sudden change and now become the wizard behind the curtain and no one gets to see you. You still need, you know, in my case, I did build my business on, you know, well, I wouldn't say my personality. I would say, you know, some combination of my personality and my skills. You built it being you. It being me. And now I have to be awake and alive to continuing to be me. And I I really appreciate that in your book. I, I felt like those things resonated with me and put red flags up in places I needed to be cautious and think, wait a minute. How how are we going to build on this in 2016? How can we go, you know, to the next step and still stay on that side of positive relationship building that is constantly, you're right, it, it sounds juvenile sometimes, but it is the simplicity of truly being with your clients and not well, necessarily and, doing. And we live in a, um, in a very social world now. And I'm not talking about social just in terms of um, relationship social where you're going out and meeting people. I'm talking about social media. Two guys that specifically really, really um, embrace this philosophy, Ted Rubin being one of them. Ted is a, is a very, very prolific um, social media uh, expert, I would call him, but he probably – I don't know what he would call himself. He's, he's the guy that wrote the book uh, um, Return on Relationships. Mm. And, and what's so great about Ted is that I reached out to Ted to be a guest on my, on my podcast expecting that I was going to hear from a, uh, a publicist or you know, a, a, a handler. Right. And uh, Ted himself responded. And I have found that on social media, guys like Ted and another guy, Bob Berg, who I just wrote a, uh, a blog about, who wrote a book called The Go-Giver, 
uh, both of these guys became famous um, for, for whatever local celebrity status they may they may have reached, or even uh, national celebrity status. They did it by continuing to be the same person that they were when they weren't famous. Right. So they respond to their own their own press. They respond to their own tweets. Um, they reach out. They are collecting these relationships. And I think Priscilla, very similar to you and to me. Um, that's the way it's done. You right. know, we, you have to. You can't ignore that, and you can't ever put that on the. You know, put them in the voicemail category. When you start <laughs> to get to that, put them in the voicemail category. And I write all the time in my blog about put them in the voicemail. How that is never a um, a successful way to uh, attitude to approach with your clients. Right. Uh, you're um. It, once you get to the spot where you really get back to being you again you discover all of the success comes back in your life. And that's, that has been one key for me in, in building this new business, the speaking business and writing business. Right. And, and difficult times come and things aren't ideal, but it's about staying really uh, attuned to your life and say, wait, that's not ideal for me. I'm not being my best self right now. Right, and right. for me here, we're big on culture. And it's about, for me, developing this management team I have around me that holds me accountable too, to staying true to who I really am and not, not veering from that. It, it gets difficult. There are times when you have to put your head down and work, but you cannot afford to be too long without really doing a really a solid check-in. And that's probably a good lesson to learn throughout this whole thing is that you um, you really just have to stay connected uh, to to the relationships that you built even in the beginning. And as a solopreneur, a guy that's you know new, just I, I just run my own business. I don't have a staff. I've I've never really wanted a staff. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe if I had fifty people under me as staff, maybe I'd say, hey, this is great. I couldn't imagine ever doing it anyway else. But I like the idea of having um, having all of these partners. You know, a partner in marketing, a partner in IT, a partner in podcasting. I I love that because that gives them some ownership opportunity also with things that they are building and growing as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's uh, that's been a successful way to build the business. Yeah, well, it's done very well. Well, let, let's discuss a little bit about the idea of writing a book. I have a large audience that listens that are solopreneurs. I have a lot of people who are coaches and mm-hmm. in the industry. And there's a lot of... I think maybe misunderstanding about what it is, why people write a book and what it is. So one of my approaches in my podcast is really to debunk things and demystify things. People Mm -hmm. think things are so difficult. And I feel that in our society, a lot of people, whether they're a marketing director or a solopreneur, entrepreneur, whatever it is, I feel like people are constantly shamed for what they don't know in business. Right. And they're so afraid to ask. And it's just, you know egos get involved in it, in it and they, they want to know behind the scenes what how you know how do you do these things how hard is it you know and so I think let's talk about this because I would rather interview you who's 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 done it I have not written a book and so I don't feel like I can just sit and hear this is why people do it and how it works but let's talk about writing the book sure. about your process of getting it published and how that relates to building a platform you know, to market your services. Let's talk about the realities there. All right, great. Wow, you just covered a lot of stuff. So where yeah. do you want? Where do you want to start? I'm happy to start in any of those spots. When did you get the idea for the book? Well, I, the idea actually wasn't mine. The idea came from my speaking coach. Uh, her name is Jane, Jane Atkinson, and mm-hmm. Jane uh, runs a company called uh, Wealthy Speaker. 
And I found her through uh, a guy that I just inspired me to, to begin speaking. So in hiring Jane to help me with my speaking business, she said, in order to raise your fees or to become more of an expert in your industry, people are expecting. It's not like, they, it's not like you have an option, Doug. If you're going to go out there and speak, you need to be an expert in whatever you're going to, to speak about. So she said, your best way to do that is to write a book. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I never even considered writing a book. Mm-hmm. So she said, just be open for the opportunity to write a book in the next 12 to 24 months. I don't know exactly where it's going to come, but just think about it. So it as a part of, and I had been writing a blog already for probably, I don't know, uh, maybe six months, maybe a few months. I don't remember exactly how much time before that I was writing a blog. Somebody reached out to me uh, from a local um, community center and asked me to borrow some equipment for my entertainment business who had been following me on my blog. So Mm -hmm. he was probably one of the 20 that was reading the blog at the time. (laughs) And and he said, hey, have you ever spoken to my cousin Rob? And I said, no, I don't know your cousin Rob. He says, my cousin Rob Jollis has written five books. And my understanding in in reading some of your blogs is that you're going to become a speaker. He said to me, I, I, my understanding is that if you want to be a speaker, you have to write a book. Right. You know, talk about like co- coincidental and, and, and all of these things coming together. Um, I would say within about two weeks, I was sitting in front of Rob and uh, he said, you definitely have the passion and the, and the drive to write this book. If I tell you how, will you follow my instructions? Wow. And I said, I said sure. Well, how much <laughs> is this going to cost me was the first thing I thought. Right. Um, but I didn't say that. That's what I was thinking. His next line was, I really want to get more involved in helping people write books as a business. I would love to take you on as a as a sample, as my example. I won't charge you to do it. So um, I said, sure, let's try that. He gave me instructions. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to write 200 pages. And you could probably see the the color go out of my face completely. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I don't even know how to write love notes to my wife. I don't know. (laughs) How am I going to sit down and write 200 pages? And the next thing that he said to me made it completely um, attainable for me, which I'm hoping will get through to even one person that's listening in your audience that's out there. But what he said to me is, Doug, you don't need to write 200 pages. You need to write 10 pages a week for the next 20 weeks. Oh, my gosh. I love that. And when he said that. Something clicked in my head because then I started doing math. I said, well, I don't need to even need to read, write uh, 10 pages a week for the next 20 weeks. I have to write a page and a half a day. And what that mm-hmm. comes down to is it's about 900 to 1,200 words I need to write every day. And I said, I can do that. That is so a- awesome. I, I absolutely love that. That's so in alignment with what I think is bringing things into behaviors that can be managed as opposed to these massive woulda, shoulda, coulda ideas. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love that. You know, what's interesting is um, you said, hey, I'm open to this, you know, to the universe. Well, I was at this Emerging Women Conference last year, and I had someone give me this assignment to write down for, I don't know why, but 42 Hmm. things that you are open to the universe giving you this year. Oh. And it, I was like, okay, that's interesting. I'm I'm a big journaler and an art journaler, and so... Mm -hmm. I always accept those things. Also, you know, obviously I'm a writer with blogs and podcasts, these things. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. But I thought it was a little odd. Um, but I thought this is good because I'm, I'm, I like to really, you know, dig deep and think, what do I really want? What really would I want to accept? So it was a great practice, but it's so funny that idea of like getting open to 
you know, to something like that landing in your Every, lap? Everything that has happened to me over the last three years of building this business, because I started building the business, I think it was in March of 2013. So everything that has happened to me has been a result of me being open. My the, the initial meeting was with my financial planner saying, hey, you're 47 years old and you're in a business dominated by 22-year-olds as a bar mitzvah MC. What is your next step? And I said to him, honestly, I've never thought about it. I thought mm-hmm. I could do this the rest of my life. And then he said, turn around and look at what's going on. Who is the next person closest to you that in age? He said, you've dominated this market for almost 30 years. He said, the next competitor is 25 years old. Right, right. And then I started looking to people 10 years older than me, and I said, I don't want to be in that position. I don't want to be almost 60 years old mm-hmm. and, th- and be that guy. I want to come up with something else. He said, I don't know what it's going to be, but just keep an, opportun- an open eye to mm-hmm. something. And that's when I met that guy, Ryan Estes, who was a speaker in a, at a professional conference who inspired me to talk to Jane Atkinson, who inspired me to talk to Rob Jollis, who inspired me to meet my publisher, who inspired me to come up with this message. And all of these <laughs> things came together as just somebody saying to me, not matter-of-factly, but sincerely saying to me, you really should look at another opportunity to figure out what is the next step in your in your life. Right. Well, and I agree that a, writing a book is largely a platform building. It sets you as an expert, it establishes your expertise, and it opens some doors. Talk a little bit about people who really think, hey, I'm going to get a book deal and I'm going to make tons of money. Okay, so, yeah, so let's, I hear that let's, a lot. Let's uh, let's debunk this okay. uh, this myth. Is it fact or fiction? So um, nobody writes a book uh, in the beginning because they think it's going to amplify their message. Everybody thinks in the beginning, at some point, some far off little nook in your brain says, "I'm going to become rich because I'm going to write a book." Now, you that may be the case, but you're not going to get rich because you've sold your book on Amazon. Because uh, the majority of the time, Amazon and your publisher are going to keep probably somewhere about, I don't know, 75 to 95% of whatever it is that's going to, you know, when I hear about these, these guys that are songwriters that are, that are in the poorhouse and they have a, a major hit, I never understand it. Now that I've written the book, I understand it completely. <laughs> yeah. Majority of your book, your book sales are not going to generate the income that you want in order to sustain any kind of lifestyle. However, that being said, uh, you writing a book and becoming an expert at whatever subject that you're writing about will enable you to raise your speaking fees so that instead of being a 500 or 800 or even a $1500 speaker you can be a speaker that's out there making 15 20 25000 for for an hour right and and all of the sudden th- and, and if you have a best selling book uh even makes it more so the case because now you can say I'm a number 1 um, you know, bestseller on Amazon or the New York Times or right. what, or the Wall Street Journal or whatever Which it is. You can say you can say, say that you're number one on Amazon bestseller, and, and that has been such a wonderful blessing in my life. But given the opportunity to have that or a really good marketing team, I'd much rather have a good marketing team hmm. because uh, while the reality of it is, it's nice to have a best-selling book. Really, what it comes down to is your book is twenty percent writing and eighty percent marketing. And if you if you don't think that way before you start writing the book, you're going to be behind once the book comes out because you really need to get on your marketing wagon and start getting things going. Well, let's end on that because I really think that's an important piece. Obviously, we're a marketing agency, so I agree with you. <laughs> but, you know, I do think there is something a little weird that people feel when they've written a book about how they have to promote the book, which is really promoting themselves. 
Well, it, okay. I'm sorry, you didn't ask me a question, so I'll, I'll let you continue. Well, how how does that feel? Tell me about that. Some people that makes some people uncomfortable. Number one, it makes them uncomfortable. Number two, it some people it just wears them out because there is a circle of that promote me, promote the book, promote me, promote the book. You know, and that is very difficult for some people to handle on their own, and they need to call in reinforcements. Well, one of the things I talk about in in uh, in when I'm out there speaking and I'm out there writing as well is I talk about it's it you're, it's all one and the same thing. All you're doing is promoting your brand. Your brand is you, and it's not what you think you are. It's what your market thinks you are. So if if my philosophy is nice guys finish first, if I'm not a nice guy, boy, is that going to go against <laughs> – you know, that's going counter, counter brand right, right there. So I need to practice what I preach, and hopefully anybody that has come in contact with me would, would, uh, would reinforce the fact that, hey, this Sandler guy, he really is, he really is a nice guy. But is this just an act? It's not an act. This is my brand. This is how I am. I believe in returning your phone calls. I believe in responding to my emails. I believe in uh, – oh, um, there's a sign on my computer right now. It says set unrealistic expectations and then exceed them because <laughs> it's not about um, overpromise and underdeliver. It's about setting unrealistic expectations and going so far beyond them. Mm-hmm. It's about being on time every time for every meeting. Consistency is everything. It's about reaching out to people and building relationships. Those five things that I just really briefly – covered this program I have called the NG30, the Nice Guy 30, it's a way to really, really enforce and reinforce the things that we need to do in order for, um, in order for us to be successful. And if you don't do those things, uh, you're not going to be, okay, so you're not going to be nice. So big deal. What the heck? Who cares if I'm not nice? But that's how I've built my entire platform. If you've built your platform as an IT person and you're doing things that are counter IT or counter marketing or counter positive attitude if you're a you know if you're somebody that talks about um, you know positivity in your life mm-hmm. what does that say about you? you you've got to be consistent with your message and your brand all the time well I think you would like a friend of mine um, Barry Tesler she's also uh, her book releases this summer and she was a little exasperated one day on Facebook and said something of the facts like oh it's the marketing machine to a book it was a little bit you know disconcerting, can't we just market the things we love? And she's like, let's call it love marketing. If I love it, I'll promote it for you. That's great. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, that she is really such an authentic person. And she's bringing her authenticity to the idea of money, like people's money concept and, you know, really changing, shifting paradigms about it, which I think is very akin to what you're trying to do. You're trying to shift a paradigm around business models that say, be a tough guy, whatever you do, right. nice is weak. <laughs> you know? Right. And if there's anything that, that if anybody knows me, again, part of the philosophy is that <clears throat> sometimes people think that being nice is being a pushover. It's being a yes guy. It's right. uh, it's taking on all the responsibility yourselves and, and maintaining that positive attitude. I, I am anything but a yes guy. And, uh, and, and I really am not a pushover. You don't want to negotiate with me. And I'm not saying that in a negative way, but I'm going to stand I'm going to help. I'm going to build this relationship, and it is really about making sure that we come to a cooperative agreement to get the end result, which is a product sold or a service done or a positive service happening or anything that it takes to improve the customer experience really does create that um, that brand of nice for me. Right. 
Well, I feel like that's respect plus clarity. You're very clear about who you are and what you offer and what you stand for. Exactly. That's very refreshing in this world. (laughs) So, well, I would love to talk, and I know my listeners are probably salivating at the idea of hearing more from you about this NG30 and those, those concepts, those are really, those are really deep. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of meat there. Um, and I'd love to delve into it. But so you said, let's practice what we preach here. What, what is something this next year that you're open to? What is one of those unrealistic expectations? Do you have anything like that that you'd want to share? For myself, a personal goal? Absolutely. And I have, uh, it's it's probably under a little piece of paper here somewhere on Mm -hmm. my desk, but I I see it. It is a a little representation of myself and I am on the, uh, my 2016 goal is to actually give a TED Talk. (gasps) So, I I love speaking. Uh, you know, I, I joke about it in front of audiences. I talk. I'm I'm not afraid of public speaking. I'm pretty much afraid of everything else, but I'm not afraid <laughs> of public speaking. And for me, I want to be able to deliver and share the message of um, of being nice is right, and not just in a not just in a in a uh, perspective of of personal relationships, but in business as well. I think that um, relationship marketing. Um, as uh, as Ted Rubin would probably tell you, is is something that is probably very undervalued. And although people say, yeah, it's important to have relationships, they will say one thing and they will do another. And, uh, and you know, it is all about again, as as Bob Berg would talk about, it is about giving as a result of uh, you know you're going to get as a result of giving. If your first thought is what, can, how can I add value to this relationship? Uh, I think that what you'll find is that your your business will completely um, take a turn in a good way, and uh, so for me, that goal for 2016 is to is to be able to uh, is to get this message out in a in a TED talk, 17 minutes or under format, and I'd be happy to <laughs> give me the that, challenge of saying I, you can go on a TED talk, and I will figure out how to get my message to 17 minutes. Oh, that is so awesome! I can't wait to I can't wait to watch it. I'll I'll download it over and over. So um, one of mine, it's interesting on the 42 things, and I think that's probably you know what drew me to talking with you. And we met on social media, and you're right. You know, I reached out to you on my Twitter feed and you responded. This is like us, you know, practicing what we preach. And it was so great. You know, we had a, a, you know, a a face, you know, a Skype face to face. And it was so cool to connect and like, well, how can I help you? And how can you help me? And, you know, is there something here that is just even for me, if I got, you know, from that a sense of um, those were some good reminders I needed to hear some good, you know, um, red flags and to remind myself, look, there it is possible to continue going down the road you're going and be authentic and win. And I I love that. I love that. But one of mine was, you know, several people have talked to me about writing a book and I I love to write and I'm actually writing a fiction book has nothing to do with with marketing. But I was like, well, you know, I would write one if if the right idea came to me, like, what is it that I really have to offer? I refuse to write it just to put to create a platform to me that's so not authentic. So I'm open to, you know, what that theme is or what is it that's unique and different that I offer, you know, the world. I'm well, open you, to it. And you think about it, I had a guy on the show, his name was Joe Polizzi, and he wrote a a, a a book called Content Inc. And what he talks about in this book is all about uh, finding that thing. What is that thing that you do that you do probably better than anybody else and that you have more it gets you up in the morning and it and it keeps you up late at night when you uh should be going to bed what is it that you do better than anybody else and that you would do free even if even if there was no money attached to it right so if you figure that out 
that will last you many, many years um, before the money starts coming in because it is not a um, – I have not gotten rich from the book. I have not gotten rich from my speaking uh, engagements yet. Uh, it's coming, and there's no mm-hmm. doubt that it's coming. I, I've done too many things in my life and seen the the, uh, the learning curve, and right about now is when a lot of people would start to give up. Right. Three or two, three years in a business, and you're not really um, pulling the financial weight that you thought that you were going to pull initially. Everybody wants to get out of the gate and make a million dollars immediately, and I don't even care about the the million dollar thing. I'll tell you, I've had money in my life, and I've and I've had lack of money in my life, and. I'm just as happy either way. Uh, my mom always says, uh, um, uh, "Being broke is what's uh, what she say? She says, um, hold on a second. Money doesn't solve problems; it just, just helps you arrive at problems style. in style." <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, I right, love right. that quote from so her. For me, it's it's like uh, you know, it's great to have money, but as long as I can pay my bills, if I'm doing what I'm enjoying doing, it it doesn't really matter what I'm making. And I hate that. You know, I'm sure people are saying, "Yeah, yeah, right." He wants to have a million dollars, but. I really do believe that money is not going to solve our problems. Right. Well, you know, you're practicing what you preach, and I love it. So if people want to hear more, tell us how can they find you. We've talked about your podcast, so share that one more time and where your blog is and how they can read more. And obviously, the title of your book. Excellent. Well, the book is called Nice Guys Finish First, and it is available on uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com right now. Uh, if um, If you want to listen to the podcast, it is called the Nice Guys on Business Podcast. It's a big red heart inside of a microphone stand, and that's how you will recognize it. You can find all of this stuff directly on my website, which is dougsandler.com, D-O-U-G, no H, so (laughs) D-O-U-G-S-A-N-D-L-E-R. But may, um, may we call you Doe. Yes, you may call you may call me Doe. Awesome. Well, thank you, you know, so. I'm not feeling like frozen pizza today. Either. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Doug. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I know that so many of my listeners who are putting a little toe in this realm really appreciate your insight. And um, thank you for writing back to me on a Twitter feed. It is it is amazing, and I can say that you do practice what you preach. I love it, and I hope our relationship goes further, and there's more opportunities to help each other and uh, to add to some of the positivity in business. I appreciate it. That's great. Thanks, Priscilla, for having me on the show. And best of luck as you uh, as you grow in episodes and grow in guests. And uh, I'm happy to help in any way uh, promote your message. So uh, certainly, let's, uh, let's do that. Awesome. Well, this has been Priscilla McKinney with Doug Sandler for Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Podcast. So have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.